0: Before you, uh, before you sit down, I want you to do something for me. I want you to hold your hands out, and we're going to invite the love of God into our hearts. God, we came in from a whole bunch of different circumstances this week, many of them very unlovely. Messages directed at our hearts uh, that were messages meant to wound and devalue, and so we need as our good, good Father, for your love to come all the way down into us, all the way into us, and all the way through us. So now, um, in the way that only you can do in the power of your Holy Spirit, minister to us with your love as we listen to your word. All God's people said, amen. amen. You be seated. The internet is crazy. He was waiting for somebody to say amen. <laughs> I, was, I wasn't going to move till someone said that. There's a new thing that has taken root in the last several years known as internet shaming. And what internet shaming is, is someone emboldened by the anonymity that comes with an online presence is able to make a comment, remark, or communication about their opinion of what someone did or did not do that they felt was correct or incorrect. People have lost their jobs. There's one story of a woman who sent a tweet. She worked for an international company, got on an international flight to do business in another city. She thought it was an innocuous tweet when she landed The tweet had been retweeted thousands of times, and she had been internet-shamed into losing her job, because the internet is crazy. (laughs) Uh, There is a girl, her name was Rebecca Black. This was maybe seven or eight years ago. She was 13. She was interested in music and writing music and was exploring that gift, as a 13-year-old would tend to do. And over a long weekend, recorded a video called Friday, uploaded it to YouTube, and it went viral. Because the internet is crazy, people felt like they could say whatever they wanted about the quality, the expertise of this 13-year-old girl who had no ability to deal with internet shaming. Some adults came alongside her, and they helped her understand what it was that was happening. They helped to protect her. She met one of the ladies who said much of the negativity that happened on the Internet. And the lady said, you know, I, I didn't really think you were real. And so I was hurting myself, and so I felt like I could say whatever I wanted. This is uh, what she learned from this. this is, she's, I think, 20 now. This is actually a very profound insight. It's what we're going to talk about today. It is increasingly obvious to me that every single one of us is experiencing pain. Is that true? And trying to deal with it in some way or another. So the title of today's message is Seeing Past Your Pain. Touch your neighbor on the shoulder. uh, Tell them, I've seen the other side. You're going to be okay. After that, stand up. We're going to read Scripture together. Would you do that? Matthew chapter 25. (coughs) Jesus' words. When the Son of Man, referring to himself, comes in his glory and all the angels with him, He will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a sheep separates the sheep, as a shepherd (laughs) separates, (laughs) (laughs) separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, tell your neighbor, I want to be on the right. Come, you who are blessed by my Father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. And I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. And then those on the right, the righteous, will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you thirsty, give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? They had no idea this is what they were doing. The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks for standing. Knowing what's going on around this passage helps us understand the words of Jesus for us. Jesus has been questioned by his disciples about the end. We all have questions about the end. Where is all of this going to end up? Will God do something with the mess that is our world? And Jesus, over the Matthew 24 and 25, unpacks for his disciples and for us what the end will be like. He uses multiple parables and multiple stories a parable always begins with a comparison. Jesus will say something like, the kingdom of heaven is like, and then he'll tell a parable that it's like this. It's not, it not, not that it is this, but it's like this. And so he says the kingdom of heaven is like five foolish virgins and five wise virgins. He sends the message, be prepared. The five foolish were not prepared, the five wise were. He says the kingdom of heaven is like a man who went on a journey and left his estate People and gave to one five portions of his wealth, and another two, and another one, and it's like that. But when you get here, kind of the culmination of Jesus' explanation of what the end will be like, this is not a parable, this is a direct statement about the criteria by which Jesus is going to judge your life and mine, because he says the nations will be judged, but then he says the people, he's meaning individually, you me and, and i don't know about you but if there are criteria that my life is going to be judged by there are going to be actions that my life will be held accountable to i would like to know in advance what those things might be are you in that same boat with me or, or is it just me and you might say that jesus here at the end of matthew chapter 25 is jesus giving us his values and saying that we'll be judged by how we live out his values. Now, he's not unclear. Uh, he does not stutter. He gives us his expectation for his people, and he says that for anyone who follows him, what he expects is that we would become people of radical compassion, that we would people be people who radically deal hope. And what Jesus does is he gives us a standard by which to judge our actions. And the standard, if you notice how he goes through this in this passage, is Jesus himself. Now, let me ask that to you in the form of a question. How would you treat Jesus? If you went home this afternoon, uh, the doorbell rang, and you opened the door, and it was Jesus... What would you say? And if Jesus said, you know, um," and you knew instantly, this is Jesus. He said, I'm hungry and I'm thirsty. Uh, You would bring him inside and you would not go to the freezer and find the food that had been sitting there for two months or three months or two years. You would not find this as an opportunity to clean out your freezer I, one time, I don't mean to throw one of my family, extended family members under the bus, but one of them, who was a very, very good cook normally for my birthday, uh, this family member was a child of the Depression, and for my birthday one year was at our house and decided to clean out our freezer and give me, for my birthday meal, every frozen, every freezer-burned food that this person could possibly find. And I had the worst birthday meal of my life. You wouldn't do that for Jesus. What you would do is you would, if you found that you didn't have adequate uh, meal preparations, you would go to Beef Mart or you would go to Meyer and you would go to the counter and you would say, I need your best steak. Well, it's $19.99. I don't care. Give me your best steak and you would find your best dish or you would go to the best restaurant and you would bring it home and, and you wouldn't go into the bottom of the pantry and pull out the paper plates and the paper napkins and you would find the best dishes that you had that maybe your grandma passed down to you or the dishes you keep in a cabinet that you could never use for anybody but special guests and you would set a beautiful place and even if you didn't know how to make a centerpiece you'd come up with a way to make a centerpiece and you'd sit jesus down to this delicious meal why would you treat jesus like that because it's jesus uh or if jesus if jesus was uh, if you were in a, a public area and there was a strange person walking around who kind of was making people uncomfortable and you felt emboldened to go to that person and, and try and say you're making people feel uncomfortable and when you tap the person on the shoulder the person turned around and the person that greeted you was Jesus you would say oh 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 wait wait Jesus and and you might say well why are you here well I, I, tonight I don't have anywhere to sleep do you know what you would do you would take Jesus home and you wouldn't Make a bed on the couch, or you wouldn't get a sleeping bag out, and they say you can sleep on the floor over there. Jesus, you would, you would say, you know what? I've got to go change the sheets, and and you would do what people used to do in olden days, and if you were the head of the household, you would give up your bed, and you would find essential oils, and you would spray them on the sheets so it smelled nice, and you would say, Jesus, you can have our our bedroom and our bed, and here's fresh towels, and you would clean everything up. Why would you do that? Because it's Jesus. Uh, If you found Jesus. And he had clothes that had holes in them or there were his shoes were worn out. You wouldn't go to Walmart and get the cheapest thing that you could buy. You would maybe go to Kohl's because it's convenient and it's in town, but more likely you would drive all the way to Maryville and you'd go to the best department store that you like in the mall and you'd find the best shirt and the best pair of pants and the best shoes and you would bring them back. I got these for you, Jesus. Why? Why would you do that? Why would you treat Jesus that way? Because he's Jesus. Now, What Jesus introduces to us here in Matthew 25 is the game-changing mindset that he put in motion that has created across the centuries waves of compassion from Jesus' people. It's changed the game in how we see the least of these, and it could change the game in how you see yourself and your life and the least of these, It could make you into a hope dealer. And this is the mindset that Jesus puts into play. And it's however you treat the least is how you treat Jesus. Because Jesus is saying, I am the least. And whatever you do for the least of these, you are doing it for me. And I didn't read the the part that goes on, the dire warning when he talks to the goats and says to them the same thing he said the sheep and says I I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat and I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink and I was in prison you didn't visit me I was naked you didn't clothe me and and they have the same exact response as the sheep they say well when did we not do that and Jesus says well when you didn't do it to the least of these you didn't do it to me because Jesus has now changed the game and whatever you do for the least of these is what you are doing for Jesus or not doing for Jesus, and we'll be, Jesus says, judged on how we go about that. Now, to be really clear, so that we're all on the same page, we need to make sure we understand what Jesus means when he's talking about the people he calls the least of these. He gives us five categories, if you want to look at them that way, of people who he says are the least of these. And he starts off by talking about the people who are hungry. One of the meanings he had behind that was the people who would be hungry because of a military campaign against their city or tribe or people or nation. Now, we don't know about this as Americans, but I could take you places in the world where this is actual reality. I've been to some of those places, and so I don't have the luxury of saying that doesn't really exist because I've seen it. I could take you to those places where these evil men, and they're almost always men, come into power, they rob the resources of their country, enrich themselves, and impoverish their people. It's one of the reasons we can't eradicate abject, horrific poverty around the globe is because there are these evil people who come in and take power. The country that I was born in, Malawi, Africa, is today still one of the 10 poorest countries in the world. The reason it's one of the 10 poorest countries in the world is uh, a few decades ago, a man by the name of Robert Banda came into power, and he lives in a beautiful home and drives a Mercedes limousine that you have to get off the road for whenever he comes down the road in Malawi, takes trips to Paris in his jet while his people have literally nothing and are starving to death. The hungry. The hungry. Uh, It could be people who are hungry because of a national crisis or a weather crisis or a social crisis. It could be something like a hurricane. It could be something like the crisis in our nation of the, the lack of fatherhood so that women are stuck raising their children alone and they suffer and they go hungry. Or when Jesus talks about the thirsty, it could be the people who are just simply lacking basic water in a place like Flint, Michigan. Or it could be the people in Malawi, Africa and the little children don't go to school and the reason they don't go to school is not because there's not a school available it's because they spend five six seven hours walking to where there's dirty water that they then have to haul home so their family can just have a subsistence level living Jesus these two categories would probably put these together these are the people who just don't have access to the things that you and I have access to on a a daily basis I, I was astounded to hear this statistic But in Lake and Porter County, one out of six people are what are known as food insecure. Do you know what that means? Food insecure means you're not quite sure where the next meal is going to come from. Here. It could also be that child in Malawi who walks for water. And the action that Jesus will have looked for on the day of judgment is when you realize that those were realities in our world, when you saw those things with your own eyes when you were made aware that those were life circumstances that people actually have did you give me food and water that's one of the categories then there's the stranger this is the greek word is xenos x-e-n-o-s it's where we get our word xenophobia which is fear of the other or someone of a different nationality or race or culture A better translation of that that's more modern, and you'll think I'm being political, and I'm not. I'm just giving you the words of Jesus, is a foreigner, foreigner or an immigrant. And the action that Jesus will have looked for on the day that we are held accountable for how we treat people is when you saw someone else that was a foreigner or who was an immigrant or who was a stranger who was other than you, did you invite me in? The word, therefore, invite me in, is where we get the Hebrew word uh, synagogue. Uh, It means a gathering of people. It's, in other words, Jesus is saying, did you make me a part of your group? Not that you just do something nice for me once, but did you invite me in, and did you make me a part of your group? Now, some of you are immediately worried about the politics of this, and I need to let you know, our job as followers of Jesus is not to tell the state how to run. What our job is, as the church, as God's people, is to simply be the hands and feet of Jesus because the church is actually an alternate political arrangement. We order ourselves a different way. I I have a goal to have a political conversion for you. Now you say, I knew you did, see? Yes, I do. It's that the letter that comes after your name would no longer be D or R, but it would be K for king, right? That your politics would always be determined by the king. And... We have, Peter says it this way in the New Testament. He says, we ourselves are xenos. We ourselves are aliens and strangers in this world. And so we ought to live our lives here in reverent fear. And the church has always followed Jesus and has always gotten in trouble for it throughout the last 2,000 years. And we'll always do that. We're, we're gonna follow Jesus, not a specific political party. So as a result of that, we're gonna do what the church has always done. And foreigners are always welcome in the church. They always have been. And they always will be. Now, that's not a political statement. That's a Jesus statement. And if it makes you mad, then you're mad at Jesus. And you can just ask Jesus, why did you command us to do this? And I'll let you wrestle with that. The next category that Jesus gives us is he says the people that are naked. Now, this might not be a clear translation, but it's the word gymnas, where we get our word gym. Uh, You could think of someone that goes to gym and they they don't have much on (laughs) when they go to gym. A a translation might be the clothes on their back is all they have. Either because their home burned down and that's all they had, or some regime came into their country and forced them to flee with nothing but the clothes on their back, or they are simply homeless. And the action that Jesus will have looked for on the day we are held accountable for how we treated the least of these is He will say, When you saw that I had no clothes, when I had nothing but the clothes on my back, and that's it, did you clothe me? The word for clothe there has the implication that you took a cloak and you threw it over someone. You can imagine someone who just lost their home, and you come alongside them, and you throw this cloak over them and cover them as if to say, it's going to be okay, we got you. Or someone comes uh, com- comes from another country and they—they they all, all they have is just a knapsack and the clothes on their back and you come alongside and you throw, a, you throw clo- a cloak over them and you say, I got you. Or you're homeless and here, come have this warm blanket. I saw that the Portage Resale Shop has done a coat drive and they're way ahead in terms of the number of coats they've given out this year. They give free coats and they need more coats and they need more people to help them sort all the things that come in Maybe a, maybe a translation for us in northwest Indiana in the winter time that we're entering into is, did you make sure that I had a coat in winter? And then the last category Jesus gives of the least are, are the sick and the imprisoned, and that definitely means people who are, have some kind of illness and people who are in prison as we think about it. But in Jesus' day, that was a little bit of a different reality because if you were sick, there wasn't the medical help, and so you had to have someone right next to you attending you And looking after your needs because you could die if someone wasn't right there to make sure that you had what you needed. And when you were in prison, the the prison system wasn't funded by the government in the same way. So it was three square meals and a safe place to eat. It was just a, a a terrible place. And if no one came and brought you meals, you would starve while you were in prison. And the action that Jesus will have looked for on the day that you and I are held accountable for how we treated the least of these is when you saw that I was desperate and when you saw that I was in prison, did you visit me? Now, I have, I have a bunch of questions when I see this list. A- and maybe you have these same questions. Here, here, let me give you several that I have. How many times does Jesus say that we're to judge how the person got in that situation? Zero. How many times does Jesus say that we're to argue about the politics of the situation? Zero. How many times does Jesus say that we're to withhold one of those things from someone so that they will learn and be able to pull themselves up by their own bootstraps and get a job? Zero. He simply says, if you did it for them, you did it for me if you did not do it for them you did not do it for me what he's inviting us to do is to see is to see past their situation and see their pain and see their need and do something about it now what i find is that one of the barriers that many people wrestle with as they try to put this into practice because this can feel so overwhelming is a barrier that that I have and that I know that you have and I know that every person sitting in this room has and the barrier is my own pain. Pain is a barrier to dealing hope. And there are a couple reasons for that. Uh, one of the reasons is that pain makes me selfish. When I hit my th- thumb with the hammer, I don't really care about you, I just care about my thumb. When I was in college, I, uh, on a weekend, I played in a three-on-three basketball tournament, and I was getting ready to put on one of my moves. Some of you are like, no. Yeah. Hey, it wasn't bad. Meet me at the Y. I'll show you. Uh, and I was putting on a move, and I was going around this guy. I was cutting around him, and, and I came down on his foot, and this right foot Rolled. I mean, and I was moving fast. I was rolled. And I heard it snap, crackle, and pop. Instant pain. I mean, I screamed blood. I've never felt pain like that in my entire life. People came over. They picked me up. And then it was a bit like an Abbott and Costello movie. If you're under 40, just ask someone (laughs) over 40. They'll explain what that means. Look it up. Not right now. As I got carried out, I got... Knocked in that ankle a couple more times by people and listen. In that moment when I was in that kind of pain, if you had told, if come up to me and said, I lost my child, I would have said, I don't care. (laughs) If you come up to me and said, I have cancer, I would have said, I don't care. Why? I could only think about my pain. Because pain makes you selfish. Now listen, if you are currently in some kind of trauma from pain, the proper response is to be selfish for a little bit because you got to do something about the immediate pain. That's not what I'm talking about when I say pain becomes a barrier to dealing hope. You have to take care of yourself to move forward. I'm talking about what happens is we play this game with our own pain where someone tells us what they're struggling with And we one-up them, and we say something like, oh, yeah, well, check out how bad my pain is. I'm going to tell you what I've been through. I'm going to tell you what I've suffered in my life. we, We have this whole little thing we do, and we miss what Rebecca Black said. I'll read it to you again. It is increasingly obvious to me that every single one of us is experiencing pain and trying to deal with it in some way or another. You know this is true. It hurts to be a human being. Everyone you know has some story of pain. It's part and parcel of the human experience to experience pain. But here is my question for you. If you're ever going to get to where you deal hope, so what? Are you going to be defined by your pain all your life? Is that the farthest you're ever going to go? Is here's where I got hurt? And I know they have needs, but you don't know what I've been through. No, I don't. Here's the second thing about why we don't become hope dealers when we're trying to deal with our pain pain that's not healed is pain that you pass on. If you hold on to your pain, you'll pass on your pain. It's why hurt people hurt people. It's why bitter people have bitter friends. It's why angry people raise angry children. It's why cynical people have cynical friends. You, you, listen, you can't hold on to your pain and hand out hope. It doesn't work. You have to somehow figure out how to let go of your pain so that you can take a hold of hope and pass it on. See, pain is a barrier to dealing hope. You have to see past your pain. you got to do it. Let me give you three ways that you can. The first thing is that you have to find healing for your pain. When Jesus stood up at the beginning of his ministry, he signaled what he was going to be about. He went into the corporate worship of his day, and he opened the scroll, which is how the scriptures were written, a big, long scroll. He found the place where it was written in Isaiah 61. And he read these words as his mission statement. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to, read those words in bold with me, bind up the brokenhearted. Listen, I'm not telling you not to have pain. I'm simply saying there's someone who will bind up your broken heart. I'm simply telling you there's someone who will bind up the brokenhearted places in you and so you don't have to be defined by your pain anymore. To proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. What does he say? To comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve. Don't get to the day of judgment and find out that you had healing available to you the whole time. There's a God who wants to... See, this, Jesus came for people in pain who've been traumatized by the things that have happened to them so that he could come and he could begin to heal that pain. See, that's sometimes a journey. Sometimes it's an instance, most often a journey, to bring healing to you so that then you can move past your pain and begin to hand out hope to people. you got to find healing for your pain. The second thing is that you have to have a change of heart. You have to have a change of heart. Did you notice that the sheep and the goats, they say the same thing? Jesus says, well, you know, I was hungry and thirsty. And they they both say, well, when did we see you do that? Neither of them were aware that they were either doing it for the least of these or not doing it for the least of these. What Jesus is saying is, at the judgment, it will be a character test because our actions come out of our character. And what Jesus is saying is, if you know Jesus and he has changed your heart, then what will come out of you are acts of compassion for the hungry and the thirsty and the stranger and the naked and the sick. Because you will say, that could have been me. And your heart will be moved with compassion to do something about that. And you will no longer look down on them. You will see that you are equal to them and that God has sent you to make a difference for them. If you don't know Jesus, your life, your only reference point for your life is yourself and your needs. And so you have a tendency to do, throw a couple bucks at something good every now and again. Uh, Hold the door open for someone as they go into the restaurant and feel good about yourself. But you don't really make your life about the needs of the people around you. you. You don't really do that. So you have to have a heart change. You have to go from being a goat to becoming a sheep, you have to go through a transformative experience where your very nature is changed into something else. One of my favorite passages in all of the Bible is in Ezekiel about the kind of change that God wants to bring into your heart and to your life. In Ezekiel chapter 36, "I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities, from all your idols, and I will give you what? A new heart and a new spirit, and I will remove from you your heart of stone. See, a goat has a heart of stone. You can see the needs of the world, and you can politicize them, or ignore them, or move past them. That's a heart of stone. He says, I will take out your heart of stone, and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit in you, and move you to keep my decrees, and be careful to keep my laws. You have to have Jesus if you're going to be a dealer in hope. What he does when you begin to follow him is he, he transforms you from a goat into a sheep. He makes you one of his sheep And he becomes your shepherd. See, what he's doing is he's giving you the answers to the test before you take the test at the end. See, we're worried that we've got to find the right things to do and then Jesus is going to... He just says, listen, I'm going to give you the answers in advance and I'm going to turn you into the kind of the person that at the end, that's just what you did. That's just the kind of person you are. You have compassion that you have for people. But you have to have a heart change. And then the third thing is I I want you to do something for seven days this week in your household with everyone who lives with you i want you to take the matthew 25 challenge i want you to watch this really short video about it and then i'm going to explain uh, to you a little bit more about it so check this out then the
1: king would say to those on his right come you are blessed by my father take your inheritance the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous would answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invited you in? or needing clothes and clothe you? When do we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. The Matthew 25 challenge was a transformational
0: moment for my family and I. There's one particular day when the challenge was to sleep on the floor. And I walked by my daughter's room, and she was already there on her sleeping bag, reading her Bible.
1: The Matthew 25 challenge was an incredibly spiritual experience for me personally. God was teaching us different things every day, and sharing it with each other was really exciting.
0: Well, when it came to the Water Day challenge, three words come to mind. Caffeine withdrawal headaches. Going without coffee all day was a lot harder than I thought get these headaches, but every time I did, it would remind me of the six kilometer walk that women and children have to do to get unclean water. My first thought
1: was, this will be easy. I grew up missing meals and sleeping on the floor, but my daughters, not so much. They were challenged to come out of their Wi-Fi life and actually experience what kids around the world experience every single day.
0: So here's how you could be a part of it. is I want you to pull out your phone right now. Uh, we're going to put a slide on the screen that tells you how you can opt in via text. Now if you don't have a phone, and you don't want to get text messages, this card will give you basically what's going to happen each day. And there's an activity for you and everyone in your household to do each day. And so what you'll do is you'll text the word M25 to the number 44888. If you need help with that afterwards, we can help you with that afterwards. Uh, if, if we can't help you, find someone under 30. They'll help you. <laughs> text that in. You'll get a little message back asking you which days you're doing it and asking what your zip code is so they can send it to you at the right times. And then I did it this week and got the text. And you'll get texts throughout the day, some little stories, some reminders. At the end of the day, there'll be some questions that you could have a little short conversation with whoever is in your household. And I want to challenge you to feel... What the least of these feel around the world for seven days, in a very small way. So uh, I I hope that you will be a part of that. Again, you can take this card, and this will help you as well. Tomorrow, for instance, you'll fast, not eat, at at dinner, and then at dinner time, you'll eat a very simple meal of rice and beans, because that's what the majority of people around the world eat if they have anything to eat. And you'll, you'll be able to walk, work through, okay, this is what it's like to be hungry. This is what it's like to be thirsty. This is what it's like to be naked. And you'll have a greater awareness of the kind of compassion that you can begin to have in the world in Jesus' name. I'm going to pray for us, and then I want to just tell you about one thing that we're doing in light of the shooting at a church in Texas last week. And then um, we'll be dismissed. Okay, let's pray. Jesus, we're in the room and we need to change how we think. We need to see that when we are doing things for the least of these, when we feed someone, we're feeding you. And we'd always give you everything. We have. We'd have. always give you our best. And when we're clothing someone. We're clothing you. And we wouldn't... We'd do everything we could to do our best. We'd. When we welcome a stranger someone who's different than us that we're welcoming you and we'd show you all hospitality and so for many of us this is so overwhelming because we're so used to our way of doing things and the status quo and so we need a wholesale change in the way that we think we need this this radical idea that when we do something to the least of these we're doing it to you and we we want to see from our life wave after wave of compassion go out from us and from our families and from our church. So we're just going to need your help. And as we take these next seven days to feel, in some very small way, what it's like to be the least of these, open our eyes, change how we think, change our minds, overcome our stubborn hearts by the power of your Holy Spirit. And everybody who wanted that said, Amen. Hey, just really briefly, had some conversations this week uh, that I never thought I would have as a pastor about the security of this building and this place when we're, anytime we're gathered here on a Sunday throughout the week. We have a couple of very smart gentlemen in our church, Mike Treem, worked with the FBI for a couple decades, and then David Johnson, who's the Lake Station police chief and has been in the military. They worked through, a while ago, a plan uh, that is right here of emergency procedures and what we would need to do, and we've begun to slowly implement that, things including things like security cameras in places, and with volunteer help and with the few dollars that we have, we're slowly implementing that. Uh, but we, I'm, I'm gonna ask you to do two things to help us with that. Um, one is we're forming a safety team, and if you'd like to be part of a safety team, Chandra Ostrander is over there. Can you wave your hand, Chandra? She's gonna be right here in the front, after the service, and if you would like to be a part of that safety team or just begin to get some updates, uh, we're going to have a meeting this week with the guys who put this together, and then we have a a security professional coming to go through the building on Tuesday. Um, If you want to be part of that, you can come down right over here, but here's the second thing that we need help with is in December, we have an influx of people, and we would love to have the security equipment in place by then. We have piecemeal been doing it simply because we don't, we have rely on volunteers, which is awesome that they do that, but schedules go very slowly. It's taken us months to get to this point. If we can hire a company to come in and finish it for us, it can be done. Uh, That's going to cost us, our conservative estimate is at least $15,000. And we want this to be a secure place for you, for our guests, for your kids. And so as you exit at the door, the ushers will be there. If you'd like to give to support that, you might be able to just simply write a check. Fantastic. I hate that we have to have this conversation, uh, but in today's day and age, it is a necessary conversation. So I would invite you to be a part of that in one of those two ways as we go. So, would you stand with me? I'm going to leave you with a blessing. And we'll go. People around you will hold out their hands. It's their way of saying they would like to receive a blessing. If you're comfortable with that, please do the same. Receive this blessing. Uh, May you know the God of compassion, who, when you are hungry physically or spiritually, when you were naked physically or spiritually, didn't reject you, but welcomed you. When you were a stranger, invited you in. May you know the God of compassion. And may you know that you're sent in his name to go and to love him in return and to love the people he loves so much and to serve the world in his name. Hug somebody, tell them you love them. Safety meeting right there. Thank you.